Hello and welcome to Extra Prep, the News Gazette's weekly high school sports podcast. I'm Joey Wright and Matt Daniels will join me soon at Urbana High School where we spent this week's episode catching up with UHS Athletic Director Steve Waller and his Administrative Assistant Tyler Lang getting the lowdown on all things relating to Urbana High School athletics. Urbana sent a number of runners and athletes to the IHSA Boys State Track and Field Finals in Charleston last week. We'll talk about that, plus stay tuned later in the episode as Colin Likas joins us to recap the whole event. And we'll also get the latest on the status of Urbana High School football. The Tigers did not play a varsity schedule in 2022, but are eager to get back onto the field in the Big 12 Conference in 2023. That and much more coming up on this week's episode of Extra Prep. It's a good one, so stay tuned, and thank you for listening. For an unprecedented seven years in a row, the News Gazette has been named the state's best newspaper. Nobody covers all the area communities like News Gazette, our county section. Adding a News Gazette subscription is easy. For less than $1 per day, no other media outlet gives you award-winning, in-depth coverage of local news and sports. Please go to news-gazette.com and click on the word subscribe in the banner. Order a News Gazette print subscription today. Welcome back to Extra Prep, the News Gazette's weekly high school sports podcast. Changing it up a little bit this week, we're at Urbana High School. No athletes or coaches. We've got Urbana Athletic Director Steve Waller and Administrative Assistant Tyler Lang here with us. Going to get the lowdown on all things related to Urbana Athletics this week. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, Steve, thanks for joining us. Yep. Thanks, uh, Joey. Always good to see you. Former alumni at Urbana and Matt as well. Um, thanks for coming over and allowing us to share some things regarding Urbana Athletics. I'm a, I'm a fan of the black and orange because I went to Edwardsville, so I'm, I'm okay with the Tigers here. So it's it's good to see you. I just need to know when the, the Joey Wright uh, poster or graphic is going to be displayed here in the hallways here he was he's getting all the stuff i'm wondering the same thing exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah we were we were actually looking at uh doing a gofundme page <laughs> yep. creating a bronze statue outside <laughs> there we go. with the mic in the hand and kind of the heisman pose or whatever the heisman pose would be for broadcasters so let let me know if you can yeah. send me a picture i'll try and speed that along joey's just hit a big milestone uh what tuesday this week joey a one year, one year anniversary one year full Gazette. time That's so right. yeah it's uh yeah. from high school confidential correspondent to part-time prep highlights writer back yeah. in the day to now you're going out covering events doing a great job thank you uh but steve let's just get down to it i guess what what's the feeling like for an athletic director at this time of year late may graduations coming up tonight here at Urbana High School as we record this on a Thursday. Is it a sense of relief? Is it a sense of, okay, the summer's here. I know the work never stops for an athletic director. But what's it like in late May for, for you at all? Yeah, I, I think it is. It, it's a little bit of relief for sure. I mean, as athletic directors, we put in a lot of hours throughout the school year. Um, there's a lot of time and energy spent on – just about everything from, you know, just making sure schedules are right to supervision, uh, to making sure your, your teams are set on what they need. Um, but there's also the bittersweet part of you're going to have seniors graduating that had great careers. Um, hopefully they, they felt like they were recognized and they've been a part of something special. 
they we always want them to have good memories as they reflect back on their high school years. So there there is a little bit of both, but um, definitely a, a little bit of a little bit of relief just knowing that the summer will ease up a little bit supervision and we can uh, start to transition into what next year is going to look like. One more day of school left, right? Uh, tomorrow, half day? Correct. Yep. What does this week look like for you? Just uh, maybe, maybe as an example of what you do all year because you've got the, the craziness of Urbana High School's graduation tonight, which I know you play a big role in. You've got, what, seven athletes in Charleston for the IHSA State Track and Field Finals. Softball played a regional game earlier this week. Just take us through kind of the, the Monday through Friday, Saturday, I guess, this week. <laughs> Yeah, so um, normal work week for me as far as, you know, showing up to school with school with kids here in school. Um, then the the after school events, we had softball at Muhammad versus Rantoul um, that I went to. Um, all along, I play a major part in the planning for graduation. So uh, just trying to negotiate and navigate through all of those different things that we have to make sure everything's in place you know we always say like graduation you have one chance to get it right every year when it rolls around and so you want to be the most prepared that you are we had a rehearsal yesterday at state farm center um squeezing in some time with you guys today to share on urbana athletics um tomorrow i'll travel to eastern to watch our boys State track. I do want to add, Joey. We have seven events, so that's right. We actually have more yep. athletes yep. that will be such, attending. Yeah. We had all four relays. We had um, Jackson Gilbert qualifying the two hundred, the four hundred, and then Gideon Capon going three hundred hurdles. So we're we're really excited about that. The um, speaking on graduation, uh, that schematic on the whiteboard behind you. We're in this conference room here, right above the commons. That's your handwriting. You you that is that, out? that is. It's like the war room in football. Yep. Um, play, just trying uh, yeah. to. There's there's uh, there's a lot of people that play a role at our graduation. So making sure that our plan is visually and also um, just aesthetically. Uh, sound where people know exactly what their role is going to be so we draw it up we also write the roles out for every person and then yesterday was that practice part everything went real smooth and um we'll continue to act on that as we go forward right on i walked that stage in 2018 out there at uh, state Look farm at you center now, joey. Yeah, that's right Wore my orange i today. still remember everybody <laughs> hooping and hollering joey wright's name was called right. all the i can't remember if it was such, and yeah. joseph or joey Wright. that was now entering the stairwell, Joey Wright. Yeah, might have been Richard. Richard Joseph Wright. I don't know what I went with. I'd have to pull the tape. I'd have to see what they went with. But uh, I do want to ask, uh, going back to Charleston this week, seven events, uh, the, the track and field and cross-country programs here have certainly had a lot of success in, in recent years. Coaches Forrest, Faroki, Zach Bemke, I'm sure many other coaches that I don't uh, – uh, can't recall off the top of my head, but what, what, what's it been like to see that program's success, stability over the last couple of years? It's been great. Um, <clears throat> coach Leslie Edmondson was our former girls coach, and she she had a quite a long tenure here, and she took home third-place trophies. She had arguably the, the best female athlete we've ever had come through in Diamond Asia Taylor. Would have been probably a four-time state champ if COVID wouldn't hit and the spring sports were canceled that year. 
But um, there's a lot of coaches that have been through our program that have kind of set a, a foundation, and certainly Coach Faroki and his assistants right now have really um, continued that mark and that bar to be set high. Uh, we had a, a just a humongous roster this year, which is just uh, – a way of showing the the interest in, amongst our student body to come out for track, and so it is definitely um, it's definitely you know transformed into success for us. So we're 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 pleased with it, and we we're continue to you know push forward with the same attitude and approach. Tyler, uh, what explain what an administrative assistant? I'm sure you wear many hats. Okay. What yeah. uh, what goes on in a day to day for you at all? Yeah, so about this time of year, I'm working with teams on the behind-the-scenes stuff that you don't see every day. Um, so I'm making sure schedules are aligned, contracts are there, uh, making sure all teams have transportation, which this time of the year is actually quite crazy <laughs> to think. Um, we're always low on drivers, so we have to be a little bit creative. Um, I'm making sure our officials get paid um, and just making sure we have staff that are working the events for gate and all of that stuff kind of behind the scenes that you don't see every day. How far out scheduling-wise do you – are you, where are you guys at right now? Obviously the 2022-23 school year is coming mm-hmm. to a close, but scheduling never stops and, and future planning and things like that. Where are you guys at right now as, as far so as future scheduling? My goal is almost a year out, so I'm pretty close with that. I mean, we've got a few here and there that I don't quite have dates, but – we're pretty close to about a year for the team, so I'm trying to stay at least a year out in terms of scheduling. Okay, got to ask and, and open this up to uh, Steve or Tyler. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff D'Alessio the other day had a great town hall um, focusing on youth sports officiating at, at the high school, you know, youth levels, that kind of thing, and how hard it's become to, to track down officials. Is there anything that you guys do on a school level to maybe make Urbana High School an attractive place for officials to uh, – to come and work or is does that maybe take place on a big 12 conference scale or steve i'll let you share maybe some insight on on how that process goes um we you know to be honest we don't we don't have like a program or we don't have a a specific method of attracting officials i think it's super important i mean if you go out and you watch any sport for that matter um nine times out of ten you're going to see a uh, I don't know if you want to call it a veteran official or an older official and some certain sports are more so than others. And so it's, um, I definitely think within the next 10 years, there's going to be more of a shortage for officials. We're already seeing it now. And so hopefully, you know, as we continue on in our programs, we will continue to advocate i certainly advocate for you know fan behavior and my coaches to act appropriately with uh with officials so you know we're just not burning people out it's just the human nature of things you can't do that i my three boys do travel baseball so we i spend most of my summer traveling around following them with their different tournaments but one one unique thing that that i saw at a place over in indiana is they have it's like they have a feeder program for officials for baseball. They have a crew chief that's assigned to one of their quad plexes, and they have literally like teenage kids out there officiating games, and that crew chief is there to kind of manage any uh, mistakes, but more so advocate for the growth of these young people. Um, so hopefully 
you start to see more of that in communities because at some point we're we're just gonna it's just gonna tap out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Steve, shifting gears a little bit, what's the what's the status? What's the updates right now on on Urbana football uh, moving forward at all? Yeah, so we're uh, we're full go for our varsity season next year. I met okay. with Coach Blandon. Um, I've been meeting with him periodically throughout the spring semester here, and so. Um, we had the opportunity to get coach in all of our PE classes here at the high school to j- just just put a name and face mm-hmm. with, and you know get kids aside and get their name and interest. And we opened up our bucket for registration so they could start registering. We got kids registering daily right now for football. Mm-hmm. Um, so our plan is fully committed to having a varsity season, um, and. We uh, will evaluate our other levels once we get to that point, but we we are. I, I told our conference about a week ago that we um, that we're gonna we're gonna plow forward. You know, I'm not sure what that's gonna look like until you know, August seventh rolls around, and but we're gonna we're gonna teach our kids how to tie their shoes and get that get out back out there on a football field and see what happens. What's that been like? The last few years, obviously, COVID threw a huge wrench in everyone's lives, for that matter. But what's that been like? To it, it almost seems like you're building the program from scratch uh, again right now. Yeah. So COVID really, really um, got us, and I know that's not to be cliche with other schools or programs, but the year that the that the football season was moved to the spring, mm-hmm. we only we we probably had low twenties mm-hmm. as far as numbers. It was a six-week season, if you remember. We also had our spring break during that period, and so we and and we we had a COVID shutdown as well amongst the team, and we just we couldn't we ended up not running a six-week schedule any part of that, uh, and more so because we just we couldn't get kids back from spring break, we couldn't get them back healthy from COVID, and then we had to quickly transition our head football coach at the time resigned at the end of the season and we had to we had to scurry a bit through the summer um with assistant coaches running you know the summer contact days and hired a coach late in uh the end of july and that's when we we played our first game against centennial week one and just we just didn't have enough on the roster as far as older kids and experience to feel like we would put our kids in a safe environment so we had to do away with the rest of the season and then course fast forward to this past fall which would have been year three um we uh similar boat um but then there were some other dynamics coach resigned right at the beginning of the season before tryouts or two a day started and um had to scurry again and just so we we realized that we we dug ourselves in a hole we can't continue to go down deeper in the hole or we're just going to flatline so we're putting our best foot forward, coaching staff right now. Um, my end, as far as trying to put things in place, so people are successful, and we're uh, we're putting ourselves in a better spot right now. How challenging has that been? It's been very challenging. I mean, I'm an Urban alumni. I played quarterback here. Um, we had some very successful teams. Um, arguably, some one of the, one of the years was the best in school history. And so for me being an alumni and just having a tie to the community my whole life, uh, the last thing I want to do is, you know, not put a team on the field. You know, there's a lot of alumni that have been through this, have a lot of pride in Urbana football. And so for 
for me to make those difficult decisions, it was, it was, it's been real challenging on me as well. So, um, I made it a pact within myself to, Hey, we, we need it. We need to get things going and we need to start somewhere and we're going to start this fall. I've seen on social media, a handful of posts, uh, registration drives, trying to get kids out and, and get kids signed up. What, where about are those numbers at right now? About how many kids do you have in the program getting ready for the summer? We, uh, I, I don't have that information coach. That's a question for the coach. Um, but we, uh, like I said, we, we're getting regist- registrations every day. And so the coach will continue. He's been at the, at our middle school. Um, they have that information as well. He'll continue to, you know, pluck away at the community to try and to put ourselves in the best position possible. He coach has a kid that's going to be a sophomore. And so he has vested interest uh, to continue. And also, we're actually fully staffed, which is um, super important to know. We haven't been fully staffed in probably four or five years. So we're, we're, we're putting all the pieces in play to, to, better, to put our best foot forward. Tyler, what would it be like, say, two, three years down the road, football's kind of back, you know, on, on the right track, there's a buzz in the hallways, you know, big Friday night. Uh, what would that mean just for the the school as a whole to get football kind of kind of re- resurrected here at Urbana? I, I think it would mean a lot. I mean, when you think of it, it really also affects like our marching band too, mm-hmm. um, and just the school pride. Um, yeah. You just don't have that on Friday nights, mm-hmm. and um, you don't have that school atmosphere of we're here, everybody's excited mm-hmm. to go to the game and stuff like that. So I just think getting that back will bring a lot of pep in everybody's step mm-hmm. on Fridays and school um, spirit as well Tyler what's it like though too I mean boys soccer here at Urbana <laughs> power for years decades obviously what Randy Blackman accomplished in his coaching tenure James Barkley continued it uh, Mickey Kowalski is doing the same thing too just w- what is that like seeing that program have so much sustained success uh, over time at all it is very exciting to see soccer um, doing very well um, and even the girls they had a mm-hmm. really decent year this yeah. year um, with the numbers they had out um I know they had started with more JV varsity, went more of a varsity team towards the end, but they really did well with what they had. And um, I think the boys will be uh, very good again this year. Um, They had good numbers on their turnout for the team meeting, so I think it will continue to be on the rise as well. Uh, And and Steve, uh, Matt kind of alluded to that with uh, the coaching, right? Randy Blackman, Mickey Kowalski, James Barkley uh, for a time there. But what makes Urbana soccer such power? What, uh, what's been kind of the driving force in sustaining that success, maybe outside of coaching? Because, uh, you know, since Randy Blackman took over in the, the late 80s, Ur- Urbana boys soccer especially has been right there with the very best in the state. Yeah, I, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know the magical formula that Urbana <laughs> soccer has. I mean, there's not like a secret sauce to success. Randy paved the way. He set a foundation um, he created a rich tradition with soccer there a lot some not a lot but some of the former players live in the community still I do know that there's local um, I don't know if you call them travel soccer or whatever that our kids partake in and so they're they're continuing to build their skills up um, but it, it is nice to see the passing of the torch from Randy to James. Uh, James had success, and now Mickey being an assistant under James, Mickey finding that success as well. And um, they, like Tyler said, they they just had a tremendous 
turnout for their informational meeting um, either at the beginning of the week or last week, whenever it was. But they, I, I, I would see that their success continues. Great, great facilities here at Urbana High School, uh, McKinley Field, Randy Blackman Field for soccer, Oscar Adams Gym here. Uh, Turf-wise, you guys were one of the first in the area when that 1% sales tax passed through in Champaign County. It's been more than a decade now. What, what's the status uh, of the turf at the football field and, and soccer fields, and how do you just kind of overall uh, the facilities here at Urbana? Yeah, you're right. Um, <clears throat> the So everything was stripped out from the south side of the school to Michigan Avenue in 2011. And pretty much everything was replaced except for the pole vault pit <laughs> since we've got a new pit. Yeah. But um, the turf is, you know, it's 13 years. It takes some wear and tear. We have PE classes. We have marching yeah. band. We have, you know, obviously our sports programs. We have public track hours. So it's not really our turf, exclusively our turf, but our track as well. But the, we have it GMAX tested every summer. The ratings are still coming back good. Obviously, the, the main field, our football field, takes more of a toll. And so there has been conversation that's been started about what the replacement will look like. So I would I would anticipate, you know, when that would be, I don't know. But I think it would probably be sooner than later. Yeah. And just keeping options open as far as if it's a whole field replacement or other types of things that and forgive me if i'm wrong the track was resurfaced relatively a few years ago right it was kind of touched up. i don't know what that process looks like but yeah it was um track takes more of a hit than the the turf does so yeah it was resurfaced and we do have it scheduled to be repainted this uh this summer so it'll it'll get a fresh coat of paint it'll look like new except it will, but at some point it will need to be resurfaced as well. There are new uh, new uprights out there too, right? I know one of them got knocked over in a windstorm last spring. <laughs> yeah, we uh, joys I, of being an AD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had the grounds guy call me. You won't believe this, but your goalpost laying on the football field. So, yeah, we had a storm that came through. It flipped our high jump pit up on. I don't know if there's a stress fracture somewhere already. Knocked the goalpost down. So just that one uh, got there. The parts of it got replaced to get it back up. And then our grounds guys, both uh, Randy Ashman and Tyler McKinney, do a fabulous job of keeping us up to date out there. They uh, they pulled the goalpost down and they had them repainted, which is, I don't know if you guys know this, but the paint for that stuff is hard to come by. Okay. And it's only seasonal pretty expensive so yeah. it's not just like hey i'm gonna <laughs> go paint the- i'm gonna as, as a new homeowner joey right yeah. i want to yeah. paint my living room i'm gonna go to lowe's yeah. it's not quite the same so there's a process behind it they they were able to navigate through that real quick and get us up and going again tyler got a scheduling question obviously with the the big 12 in its current form and version it's been that way for for some time now with all the peoria schools uh, how long that been now six seven eight years i want to say uh what is that process like when it comes to scheduling you know varsity games freshman games factoring in the travel time the bus drivers making sure kids are at the right spots i'm sure it's just a the logistical aspect of it i'm sure is quite the undertaking so a lot of the scheduling for the big 12 conference wise is done Mm-hmm. So we don't necessarily have to plug in that piece okay. of it. Um, we do have to factor in the travel times and that stuff with the coaches. So mm-hmm. I work with the coaches on leave times okay. and load times and all that information. 
Um, and then we work with a uh, first student for our busing. Um, so we start there and then if they're busy or can't do, then we have to mix around and <laughs> be creative, which we've had to do last couple months. But um, there's some logistics with that. As for non-conference schedule, we work with a lot of the opponents we've had in the past, and then uh, coaches will give recommendations if they don't want the specific teams, and we'll mm-hmm. go kind after of. the contracts up. But gotcha. That's okay. kind of how that works. What, what exactly comes with a contract? What, take, is it just a document? Is it just a simple email? What what exactly comes with a, with a contract for scheduling high school games? So we use a system called 8 to 18, okay. and it basically yep. will create a contract, and we normally do a two-year deal. So we'll put a year on, and then we'll put the other year at the other location. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll com- I'll communicate with a lot of the ADs via email, and we'll go from there. Gotcha. Steve, what's it been like just to have the Big 12 in its current form? I think obviously when the news came out, the Peoria schools were joining. I think everyone's first inclination was it's going to be a lot of long bus rides. What's it been like having that kind of model and, and the teams and coaches get familiar with one another and, and the trips too, the, the, the lengthy travel that comes with a lot of those Peoria, Peoria schools at all? I think the Peoria schools have been a great addition to the Big 12. I'm, they They really offer different types of competitive edges in different sports. Um, just like any school, you're going to have programs that are going to be stronger than others, unless you're, of course, normal community. And you're, just, <laughs> you're just good in everything. Um, uh, but does that come up often in the Big 12? It days? does. <laughs> yeah. They've won the all sports award. Um, we, the, the, the other, I'll get back to that in a second, uh-huh. but as ADs within our conference, we meet once a month. Uh-huh. Generally at a Bloomington normal, like a, yeah. a centralized location for the Peoria schools in the Urbana, Champaign, Danville. Yeah. And so we um, we have a real, I would say, strong bond amongst our athletic directors within our conference. So uh, we, we talk about a whole bunch of different topics, mm-hmm. but it's so crucial for us to always be on the same page. The last thing you want is a team showing up somebody's school and they're like, we don't have you on the schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And so – um, not to say there's never any miscommunication, but the miscommunication is very low, I believe, in our conference. But each year we do uh, back to normal. Um, we do a uh, all conference standing. So depending on where you fall with your respective sports, uh, conference wise, you get X amount of points. And so they've, I think, normal's won like 16 the last 17 years. The all the all sports award. So from that end, you know, <laughs> you can as a small school at Urbana, we're the second smallest in the conference. Yeah. We can always, it's always like, ah, we gotta, you know, sometimes you gotta play normal, mm-hmm. and they're twice our size. They're we're a small five A team in football. Mm-hmm. They're a middle to upper team in seven A, and so, you know, one I remember one year they showed up, and they had TVs on the sidelines. I'm like. <laughs> This, this just doesn't even make sense, like you know. South. And so, and it, not to yeah. say that a smaller program couldn't get to that no, level. Exactly. It's just we're not at that level, um, and they are. They run multiple levels of like an A and a B schedule for freshman football. It's like it's tough to compete with schools that are just so advanced in those, you know. And then Peoria High is the state runner-up yeah. in football, and so we have a we have a lot of. I mean, Peoria Notre Dame won boys soccer this year. Um, so there's a lot of lot of quality teams within our conference. Yeah. I, I know the IHSA, uh, this was going to happen. 
pre-pandemic, I want to say 18, 19, whenever they passed the districting model for football scheduling, do you think that would ever gain support again moving forward at, at all? I know it would look completely different, but, you know, Colin Likas and I have talked about this in the office numerous times. And just because conference alignment, you know, in the early 2010s, I want to say kind of hit a acceleration process throughout here, and then it kind of diminished, and then it seems to kind of pick back up a little bit here. Just what do you think, if, if the HSA were to do that for football scheduling, what do you think that would do uh, just for conferences as a whole, I guess? I think it's possible. I mean, like any proposal that's get, that gets brought about, that sometimes um, people find like flaws or holes in these proposals, and they just they just never make it past the next level. And of course, what we consider to be what we feel is right to do in the central part of Illinois. Um, like many things in politics and whatnot, <laughs> Chicago has just a strong grip on everything yeah. just because there's sheer number. Mm -hmm. yeah. So generally if it can gain steam in Chicago, there's a good chance it could pass. So I would be, I mean, even as our, our big 12 conference, if we're just talking football, mm -hmm. you know, we're at an odd number of yeah. 11 schools. Mm -hmm. So we constantly talk about trying to recruit and we've been trying to recruit schools as a 12 school to come into our conference and with 12 schools then you could do two divisions which yep. would allow you two advancers yep. uh for your for your automatic bids yep. and so yeah i don't know if that would be a east or a west mm -hmm. division or a big small division yep. as far as enrollment but you know, from a school like Urbana, that's the second smallest. We would we're always trying to advocate for a twelfth, and you know maybe get away from some of these powerhouse schools so we can start getting our you know feet back on yeah, the ground exactly. a little bit more. Speaking, uh, going back to Peoria and and going back to powerhouses, uh, something I ran into a lot at, at Bradley and with Clutch Sports Media was seeing Urbana in the Tournament of Champions in Washington every year for boys basketball and of course they go to some other tournaments as well uh tyler maybe this is a, a better question for you and kind of dealing on the the scheduling talk we've we, we've been talking about what what goes into that when verdell jones says hey i want to bring the team to washington or hey we're going down to st louis or we're going here for for this tournament and we'll <laughs> we'll give it back to steve for that one what uh what what goes into maybe some of those those bigger marquee events that uh, boys basketball you know gets into every year yeah i mean most people know that Verdell is a staple of the basketball community. If it's in central Illinois, if it's in Peoria, if it's in Indiana, wherever it is, I mean, so he knows somebody. And so his connection to the basketball community is so important. And his belief is, is that if you want to be the best, you got to play the best. And sometimes um, his roster as of late has has not quite lent itself when loss wise to the level of some of these teams we've been playing, but he he's he's a he's a guy that sticks by his his gun so to speak, and and he that he, he strongly feels, and there's something to be said about it as well. And so when he comes to me with these different schools he wants to play, my first question is always like, "Are you sure?" <laughs> uh, uh, because they're. I, they, you know, they're having a really good year. Or, you know, they got a really strong program. But, you know, I think it's the balance of my position of supporting a coach's vision and their program of having high expectations. I think that's my job to facilitate that 
And so I've been trying to do that as best I can. He gets, he gets all the top schools on the schedule. They just, and you know, it's a credit to him too and his credibility um, because they, they know that, you know, win loss wise, they're going to show up and his kids, Verdell's kids are going to put forth the effort that his, the other team needs to see. I always thought it was funny when I was in high school, uh, and I guess he graduated a year after me. But Miller Calhoun would always draw like EJ. He'd always have to guard like EJ Liddell <laughs> and all these Francis Goro. You know, I guess it's a conference opponent, but he would always draw those those tasks. Yeah, I think Miller. Uh, that's the reason why he grew his hair out. They had like two or three inches. <laughs> yeah, right. Make him so look a little taller. Look yeah. a little taller. <laughs> Tyler, give us uh, what it's like working with this man every day. How hmm. much you've gleaned from him. What do you, uh, what do you try not to do that he does? What do you try to do that he does? This is your chance to give us the the lowdown on your okay. boss here. I, I really like working with Steve. Um, he kind of lets you go as I mean, he lets me do what I do, and uh, I guess he has faith in what I'm going to do. <laughs> if, I guess I ask forgiveness later <laughs> on if it's if it needs to be, but um, I kind of just go and do my thing. Um, that's one thing I've learned from him is just uh, always work hard and just do what you need to do and. Uh, just don't be afraid to take uh, chances on what you're doing. So yeah, gotcha. it's kind of a learn. Well, Steve, you've been a lifesaver for us at the News Gazette for the better part of a decade with uh, your willingness, I want to say, to <laughs> host the uh, News Gazette Honor Roll track and field meet. The 40th version just wrapped up this past May. Uh, what's that been like, uh, being tasked with that responsibility? I know Colin Likas on our end does a huge amount of it as well, but you're kind of the man behind the scenes. And what's it been like, too, to have, uh, you know, Gene Armour track showcased uh, in the way it is for the almost the last decade here? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, you don't I have to say that just because you're on a podcast, Steve. Well, I'm, I'm like yeah. winking at you guys as I say it. Like, I'm going to give you the short answer. Yeah. No, when I came in the position in 2015, I was a baseball guy. I knew nothing about track <laughs> and some of the other sports for that matter. Um, but coming into a position where you have to be kind of an expert in everything, I had to quickly learn. And so I turned to Eric Vetter at the U of I. And um, just with the – we do the – obviously the Gene Armour meet at the U of I. He was just like a like a – godsend for me as far as like the the knowledge of track alone and so around that same time shortly after the u of i went into a construction phase for their track and so eric and i developed a pretty good relationship and he said hey what do you think about hosting this and so i'm like ah man (laughs) it's like joey and matt asked me to do this podcast i don't know what i'm getting myself into but um he uh he's like it'll be fine you know you'll you'll do fine and so uh we took a leap and and uh i think it's turned out well i think we we always host a very reputable event i think people can say that we're planned and organized and um you know we try and do the best to represent the local athletes is the biggest thing and so you know uh, I've I've enjoyed it. Let's just say that. Final question for me, and I'll let Joey have the final one on this since mm-hmm. we're back in his old stomping grounds. Uh, <laughs> Steve, Tyler, if you want to pitch in this as well, what's your what's your first memory of a young Richard Joseph oh, Wright, man. and <laughs> and also what's it like too, just seeing his, you know, where he's at right now in in life. I don't want to make him blush, but he <laughs> probably is. Probably. Yeah, so I got a lot of memories of Joey um, <laughs> as a as a student walking the halls here, uh, but more so, I guess, as 
just a, a, a student that was always willing to pick up and try something new. He, uh, I don't know, I, I think that he got into the announcing and things like that during middle school, and maybe even younger. He probably did it on his little kid megaphone when he was a <laughs> kid driving his parents nuts, I'm guessing. Yeah, right. But um, my biggest memory about Joey is every time, because I hired him in – for our high school sports for some for you know different things and i probably wasn't supposed to it was like tyler asking for forgiveness later um i asked for forgiveness from our my my bosses but uh joey is known for the first question out of his mouth always when he worked for me was is a concession stand open where's my meal ticket? and where's my meal ticket this dude is a food machine and he's like a connoisseur of concession stands. So anything that you can do to enhance his food experience has has always been a bright spot with Joey. But on a serious note, he he just you could see the early growth in Joey. I mean, he recognized the the little keywords that you guys really hit on. Um, he coined some of his own phrases. And so his his voice just uh, really came across on a microphone where, you know, this is some somebody that kind of captivates your your attention. And so I know that he's he would come and watch some of the announcers, Dyke Stewart that I always hire, yeah. um, and some of the other ones. And uh, you know, like any profession, you're going to take different qualities from different people, and you're going to tailor it to yourself and. Joey has, you know, obviously put himself on a very good path to continue to move on. I mean, being a new homeowner and all, he's like Mr. Big Time now. <laughs> so I'm glad you got it right by the bus stop yep. on the corner spot. So hop right morning. on the bus yeah. if you need to get there. <laughs> but um, before you know it, we'll be seeing him driving a Tesla probably. <laughs> Hopefully he remembers us small exactly. people, Matt. You know, exactly. comes back and yeah. visits. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, maybe I can get him to sign the statue I'm trying to raise money for and <laughs> – so yeah, he's 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 been good. He's been great. So uh, Tyler, I don't think has worked with him a whole lot. So um, he hears all the war stories. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that, <laughs> uh, and appreciate the and and how could I forget the the, the we'll call them the little people, right? But um, so many great opportunities here as a high schooler, and I I hope uh, kids who are uh, in school here now are getting the same opportunities because uh, it was. We're very fortunate to, to make the most of them, and, yeah, glad to be back. And I'll, I'll kind of segue that into my final question, and I hope we haven't kept – I hope graduation's <laughs> still on tonight. I hope we haven't derailed the, the ceremony. But uh, in the couple of times I've been back here this year for covering various things, I've noticed a lot of folks I went to, to school with here are coaching. Um, Justice Carter, uh, the track and field program, Lauren Madsen coaching softball, right? And I think I've seen other uh, – Dan Wachtel was running the uh, clock at a wrestling meet or something. So you've, you've done a pretty good job of bringing other people back as well. Yeah, I mean, in it's not it's not always – I certainly don't want to take credit on any of that. I think it's the important piece to know is that when kids come through our sports programs, they build very strong relationships with our coaches in our programs. And, you know, if the time – it lends itself appropriately. They want to give back. And you're right. You did mention some, some former athletes and, and we have some, some more than that as well. And, but other than just coming back to coach, they come back and help out 
and they come back and do other things. And that's that's really important for a program to continue to move forward, that those people, you know, enjoy that piece of it. They enjoy their high school experience, and they want to come back, and they want to help in some form, if it's just one meet or one tournament or one game, or if it's more of a bigger role of taking on a coaching. But we, we certainly try to recruit those kids i just hired uh, another one in on our football staff so i'm um, just kind of thinking off the top of my head so yeah we um we enjoy when former former athletes come back and they take part in our programs absolutely keeping it in the family so i think that's a good place to leave it again i hope uh, i hope the kids are still going to graduate tonight i hope we haven't <laughs> kept you for for too long but uh, it's been a lot of fun to be back here at Urbana High School. And we'll sneak in one more quick break and come back to wrap it up. Steve Waller and Tyler Lang with us on Extra Prep. We're back after this. Stick around. For an unprecedented seven years in a row, the News Gazette has been named the state's best newspaper. Nobody covers all the area communities like News Gazette, our county section. Adding a News Gazette subscription is easy. For less than $1 per day, no other media outlet gives you award-winning, in-depth coverage of local news and sports. Please go to news-gazette.com and click on the word subscribe in the banner. Order a News Gazette print subscription today. Welcome back to Extra Prep. A big thank you to Urbana High School Athletic Director Steve Waller and his Administrative Assistant Tyler Lang for joining us this week, uh, a special state of Urbana athletics on Extra Prep. Uh, But we're back in our studio now, away from my alma mater. Matt Daniels, uh, Colin Likas joining me, Joey Wright. And, Colin, we bring you in uh, because while we were at Urbana High School, you were catching some rays in Charleston, big week of... IHSA Boys State track after uh, a big weekend that preceded that. The girls taking the track, the blue track at uh, O'Brien Field. Uh, that's right. Uh, I'm modern of several people in this office. Harvard of the Midwest. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, a lot of success uh, for both girls and boys state track as we've become accustomed to locally. It's just uh, it's kind of like state wrestling. You pretty much guarantee that we're, you're going to have a lot of state medalists and probably even a few state champions. Uh, on the girls' side, only one state champion this year, the Leah Patterson did win two events so she's a double state champion congrats to her sophomore out of tuscola one of the nicest kids around and just a super talented athlete both as a sprinter and a hurdler uh, she's got two more years to go i uh, wouldn't be surprised if she's uh leaving Pyatt county one day with Pyatt county douglas, douglas county, county one yeah, day right. with plenty of don't uh, start those she, leah patterson <laughs> transfer rumors yeah there we go that's she's going to monticello <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah i wouldn't be surprised if leah patterson's leaving high school regardless uh, with many uh, many other state championships uh, on the boys side though several other um, state champions uh, finished up with 10 overall four out of salt fork and four out of uh, yeah, four out of where else because i can't think of centennial. where else thank you centennial urbana um, urbana had one ridgeview had one as well um you know, a great day for both salt fork and centennial on the boys side salt forks boys winning another team state championship in class 1a and centennial maybe surprising some folks and uh, taking third place in class 3a which is not an easy feat and doing so with only two athletes scoring points even less of an easy feat but when you uh, you win every event you're in in the finals then i guess it makes it slightly easier so yeah a lot of a lot of good to talk about among these kids and uh, six days of plenty of success for our local athletes all right two-pronged question here colin mm. before we dive into how incredible daniel lacy's accomplishments were yeah. this past saturday have you figured out the proper ratio of sunscreen 
uh, to make sure you don't get burned because Joey and I were out Saturday at some baseball and softball uh, regional title and sectional titles, mm-hmm. and we did not apply the proper no. amount <laughs> of sunscreen, so we look kind of like tomatoes today. Sure. And two, how do you go about covering state track? <laughs> I know this is a very inside baseball mm-hmm. type question, but it seems you've talked to every single qualifier we have in the area. So give us give our listeners a rundown first on the sunscreen. <laughs> And also, did Garrett Taylor wear sunscreen? He didn't Garrett look. Taylor looked a lot less burnt this year. <laughs> I think he did well on his sunscreen, so uh, good on him for making sure to follow up last year's uh, looking very red with looking a lot less red this year. Do we have the bucket hat going for you, Colin? I, I need a bucket hat to bring okay. out. A lot I of people like it's do. I feel like, like it's like a track it insider is. thing. You have to have a bucket hat. I don't even think it's you. just a track. I think it's photographers in okay. general. A lot of photographers wear bucket hats. Okay. They're, they're kind of ahead of the curve from the, from the writers in that they, they – they're the ones who are always out there getting hit with the sun directly, so they have to make sure that they're well protected. Folks, so. folks can't see this, but Colin looks like he just came off a month's vacation in like <laughs> the Florida Keys I did or not. In like <laughs> Mexico or something. The the tan Great he's tan. got going on. Is, I don't is, feel like I just got <laughs> off a vacation, as <laughs> as you can tell by the fact I couldn't remember what county Tuscola was in or that Centennial had four state champions last weekend. Um, but. It's just a matter of making sure you actually apply before you get out, I think, is the biggest thing. And whenever you can find a few opportunities to get in the shade, go ahead and and, uh, collapse upon those. Um, Biggest thing is building up an early sunburn tolerance. So go on to Big 12 Boys Tennis before uh, any of those postseason events started and got really badly burnt because I didn't uh, properly apply sunscreen. So once you get that base layer, then it's a lot easier to just uh, build a tan up. All right, give us the lowdown on how you speak to every single athlete that apparently competes in Charles. Well, one, it's not every single one, but it's as many as I can possibly uh, you know get a hold of. Um, sometimes you just have to kind of understand, you know, that some athletes they might be upset with their performance or maybe not feeling up to talking and you kind of move on. But I think the majority of athletes uh, are ready and willing to talk regardless of the situation. Um, and it's just trying to get the schedule down ahead of time and then keeping your ears open, not not so much your eyes, because um, that can kind of deceive you a little bit as you're kind of just waiting for things to happen. But if you listen over the intercom system, the public address announcer there uh, at O'Brien Field does a really good job of keeping people informed. Here's what's coming up next. Here's maybe how far we are away from this starting and this starting. And here's a, a call, for, first call and final call for this event. So you get a better idea as you listen just of where you need to be at which time. The one thing about state track that's really great is it runs on a pretty strict time schedule. Mm -hmm. That can be annoying sometimes when you're like, okay, I wish certain events would move along. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it also lets you know exactly when you can get to X, Y, and Z and kind of plant yourself out and then just kind of, you know, corral the athletes Mm -hmm. and be like, hey, you're going to talk to me before you run off into the indoor field house that a lot of the athletes sit in to get away from the sun or or just leave the facility entirely, which is a problem I've had in the past. Uh, Actually had it on Saturday when Tuscola boys coach Ryan Horn had to hurry back to Tuscola because they had graduation (laughs) Saturday night so his team plays fourth barely missed a state trophy and I wanted to talk to him about how great they did and he said I'm I'm already gone so I just gave him a call on the phone but (laughs) thankfully everyone else I was able to catch before uh, before they left Charleston just a matter of staying organized I guess are you ever worried you're going to get run over (laughs) yeah I mean (laughs) more so in boys girls that usually doesn't happen although the one 
thing that's always that isn't always fluid with state track is what direction the sprints are run, specifically the 100 mm-hmm. and the 200 and the the, the short hurdles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the wind sometimes dictates you need to flip the track. Um, and if they flip the track, the athletes tend to just not know where the finish line is because they're not used to running that direction. So especially during the girls' races, the wind was, was blowing kind of the, the wrong way, for lack of a better phrase, for the entire three-day meet. And they were running the, the events opposite of the direction they normally would. And the girls were just – they were running a 200 dash in, in a 100, basically. Mm-hmm. They had no idea where the finish line was, <laughs> so they were just – continually running and basically surging through all the media members who are typically far enough down the track that they would have been safe. Uh, but usually on the boys' side, the athletes um, just – you think of a guy like Daryl Okeke from Judah Christian, big kid. He's built mm-hmm. up a lot of muscle recently, and when he gets ahead of steam going, it's hard for him to slow down. Yeah, you'd be worried about a kid like that hitting you probably. And uh, a lot of those guys, the, the bigger guys, the ones who are like 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", and get a lot of speed going, you're worried, yeah, if they hit me, I, I could get knocked over. Uh, but the the officials there are very good about making sure you stay on the white lines. Otherwise, they will consider throwing you off the track entirely. So you learn how not <laughs> to get hit by people because <laughs> otherwise you might get uh, thrown off the track for it. For the people wondering how you are able to tweet nonstop through three days, you, you told me the secret's a big portable charger. Yeah, big portable phone charger. Doesn't really uh, help with just poor cell coverage there, which is a frequent pro- problem <laughs> because there's so many people yeah. there that are soaking up all of this one cell coverage outlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of a problem. But other than that, yeah, keep a portable cell charger in the back pocket and uh, make sure to keep the phone charged at all times. Well, they are, they are long days, crazy days, but what I've always liked about, and I've never been out there for state track, but I, in track meets in general, they've kind of got like a block party feel. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's that's really amped up in Charleston. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, the, the tents and all that stuff are kind of well outside of the stadium. There's a big grassy area away just a away from O'Brien Stadium, also from the baseball and softball fields that are nearby. And that's where all the tents are, and a lot of schools use them. Some don't because uh, they don't have a lot of kids there. So you, you just hang out in the stands or hang out in the field house that's nearby Lance Fieldhouse. Is that what it's called? That's maybe? right. Um, which, uh, yeah, becomes Lance like – Lance Arena, is it? Yeah. yeah. It, it becomes well, there's a field house oh, and an arena. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, okay. yeah, it just becomes a place for people to hang out, basically, <laughs> if they want to get away from the sun, athletes and coaches specifically, not just random fans. But, uh, hmm. yeah, it, it, definitely on the champion days that black party feel is definitely amplified people are very much into it and uh, even if it's not their kids they're very much into supporting you know there was a pole vaulter from bloomington in class 1a who was trying to clear some obnoxious height that seems inconceivable and everybody was was supporting him the entire way so yeah i think that's a that's a fair assessment of the vibes so going into saturday colin mm-hmm. were you anticipating that you'd be writing a story saying daniel lacy won <laughs> all three <laughs> sprint state titles in class 3a like the centennial senior ended up doing yeah i I didn't anticipate having to write a whole separate story about centennial in general uh team trophy seemed a little out of the Mm -hmm. out of realm of possibility when their one relay unfortunately had a i believe it was a drop baton issue during prelims um just didn't have a ton of bodies who were you know filling up the score Mm -hmm. sheet and Tuscola's girls kind of had a similar similar issue that didn't end up mattering because Tuscola's girls had two girls in Leah Patterson and Kate Foltz who ended up scoring a ton of points and just worked out for them and that's exactly what happened with Centennial but uh, it was only four events they managed to win all four of them uh, Daniel Lacey yeah, I, I could have pictured him winning at least one state championship he was ranked first in the 200 dash mm-hmm. going in in class 3a but it's class 3a um, 
Centennial's definitely on the smaller side mm-hmm. of schools that are in 3A. Centennial and Danville are only two local schools in 3A. So to see him just blow past, you know, kids from significantly bigger schools up in the Chicagoland area and the Chicago suburbs and even downstate a little bit, that was really uh, impressive to me to see him win the 100, 200, and 400. And although I think as impressive as that is to win three state championships in Class 3A, it might be more impressive that his teammate, Fulton McAboo, mm-hmm. just came out of absolutely nowhere and won a state championship in high jump as a <laughs> sophomore, um, going one-on-one with a kid from normal community who would beat him in every other turn this school year, and just you know going out there, jumping, clearing bars on his first try, and being kind of shocked that he did the whole thing. Daniel, I think, maybe expected to win three state titles, even if the rest of us didn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think even Fulton McAboo expected it. <laughs> for him to walk out of Charleston with a state championship. Maybe only his coaches did, but everybody else is kind of like, who? who is this kid? Well, we all know now, I guess. Yeah. Is it safe to call Salt Fork, boys track and field, a dynasty? Yeah, it is. Okay. Um, at this point, what, what Phil Supernaut's got going over there is pretty incredible, especially this year. That team was not healthy. Uh, I mean, besides Garrett Taylor and throws, he was, you know, as far as I know, 100% all year and dominated in discus again and then won his first shot put state championship. But on the sprint side, you know, normally they have a reliable four, maybe five, and all those kids were just getting hurt at one point in the year or another. Even on championship Saturday, Ben Jessup's back was tightening up, so Jacob DePratt had to come in for what will be his only state meet race uh, as a senior. Just get out there and run a state championship, and he ended up helping the team to a first-place finish in a relay. Um, and Ethan Davis, I think, also was dealing with an injury as well. Uh, you know, Nathan Kirby had had an injury issue throughout the year. Bryson Vasquez later in the season had an injury issue as well. Uh, it's pretty pretty amazing and uh, definitely a testament to the depth and uh, skill level that they got going on over there in Catlin and and the surrounding communities that make up Salt Fork. Garrett Taylor didn't quite get to his goal of 200 feet, Not quite. but he'll have, he'll have plenty of time to chase that down at Illinois State and. There's a story, you know, if, if we haven't already written the story, there's one, just the uh, the Macaboo name, uh, going yeah. back to that in Centennial. I feel like uh, it was it was like this when I was in high school, mm-hmm. all kinds of uh, success that that, uh, that name has had. I presume they're, they're all related they in some yeah, form or fashion, and Voldy Macaboo getting the job done for Centennial, and, uh, and an Urbana-themed episode, lest we uh, forget to mention sure. Jackson Gilbert, too, getting it done in the 200-meter dash. Not quite the 400-meter dash. I don't know that no. we <laughs> get too far into that one, but uh, well, it's, the U yeah. of I commit uh, signee still gets a, a state title. Yeah, it was a very weird weekend as far as boys track and field goes, three-day period anyway, where uh, disqualifications were kind of rampant uh, for us locally. Started with Judah Christian Zarel OKK in the 110 hurdles in Class 1A. He clipped a hurdle during prelims. It hit one of his opponents in a different lane. That's a disqualification. Bismarck had a relay get disqualified. It wasn't one that would have advanced on based on time or finish in the prelims, but regardless, it still happened. And the whole mess with the Class 2A 400-meter dash where Muhammad's D'Angelo Huey thought he was DQ'd, was told he was DQ'd from his prelim race. Then afterward, they realized, nope, they got the right lane but wrong heat, and then it ended up being Urbana's Jackson Gilbert, who was the one actually DQ'd as the defending state champion in that event, no less. He handled it extremely well. All those kids I just mentioned handled their DQs extremely well. Not, you know, anger, throwing stuff around, tears, anything like that. More so just we got some business to take care of in other events, so let's go do it. And Jackson Gilbert really epitomized that by going out and winning uh, the 200-meter dash, an event that he hadn't before in Class 2A, and uh, 
also uh, helping uh, Urbana's relays to some more points as well. So pretty exciting stuff for him. Fun athlete to talk to. I kind of put Jackson Gilbert and Nathan Kirby on a similar plane. They're both guys who kind of march to the beat of their own drum and compete in some similar events as well. And uh, yeah, Jackson, I, I have no doubt, is going to do some pretty big things over at the University of Illinois moving forward. Doesn't have to go far. Um, yeah, big, big week for Gilbert. And uh, as we mentioned, plenty of centennial runners and Salt Fork and Big week for a lot of a lot of runners oh, yeah. and throwers and athletes. <laughs> yeah, you go outside. Talking go, in a circle. Go outside track, yeah, tennis as well. Yep. Uh, not not that we have a large you know prep tennis community as far as number of teams, but pretty cool that in the last few years, Centennial and Champaign Central now have both brought home a team trophy in Class One A. Central placing third over the weekend, led by Ezra Bernard in fifth in the singles draw. So uh, good stuff for the Maroons, who kind of knew all season they would have a pretty talented team. It was just a matter of can you piece together enough points in a a daunting, grueling event like the state meet where points are hard to come by, and and they did. Yeah, it was uh, pretty cool catching up with uh, Coach Scott Davis and and Ezra Bernhard on on Saturday. And uh, Davis had kind of a a cool story from from the final day at at State. Uh, Central came in, I believe they are in fourth place going into Saturday. Uh, They were, I believe, a point or two away from cracking that top three. And uh, Dunlap had, had 17 points, Central had 16 points, and then uh, Ezra Bernhard picked up two additional points with uh, the wins that he accumulated on, on Saturday. And uh, Davis said that the Dunlap team was watching uh, Bernhard's matches and, and cheering against them. And he understood why. He <laughs> said if they were in the same position, they would do the exact same thing. Um, but the, the whole central contingent was out there. All the players, all the parents just out, out at Palatine High School. And uh, Bernhard came through with uh, you know fifth place finish in singles as a, a junior. Uh, only sets him up for possibly even more success um you know his his senior season and champaign central obviously has a decorated athletic history in, in multiple sports but it's the first time they've ever brought home a a team trophy in in boys tennis and uh davis also admits too that uh you know it helps that it's a two-class system now instead mm-hmm. of just the one class system but even then in one in a chicago latin overwhelmingly won a state title and then bennett academy was second so central getting third kind of represented the downstate schools and the schools south of, of I-80, and it uh, just goes to show you that uh, they've got some good tennis here going on in, in Champaign recently, obviously, with what James and Max Braun did at Centennial, and, and now Champaign Central's keeping that going uh, like they did uh, this past weekend, and Champaign Central baseball's still playing, yeah. won another regional title, apparently... All they have to do when they play normal U-High is Max Quirk hmm. needs to pitch because uh, the senior mowed down the Pioneers yet again this season. Uh, had a bit more comfortable win this time. This year they won 5-1 to one instead of a 2-1 thriller in eight innings like they did last year. But uh, kind of a pitcher-by-committee approach that John Staub used uh, against normal U-High. And uh, he kind of came to the realization about a month ago that they don't really have any power arms on this central rotation. So it was, uh, you know, Owen Hobbs started and went two into third innings, and they brought in Max Quirk, and he threw four shutout innings relief. And then they brought in Mitchell Crompton at the end to, to nail it down. So it was uh, the, the one word that Staub, that came to Staub's mind when I talked to him on Saturday afternoon, which is selflessness that this central team has. And, and now they get to make uh, the trek out to, to Lincoln on uh, on Thursday <laughs> to, to play a very talented, very good Chatham-Glenwood team. And, 
uh, eager to see how that all unfolds. And Joey, you were at the block party in Muhammad. That's right. On, on Saturday, covering softball and baseball. Big crowd uh, out there for for both games, but the baseball game especially drew uh, a, a number of fans out there. Blake Walter shutting down the rail splitters four to one ball game. It was a, a close game. Um, three run homer though. Carter Johnson going deep and getting the job done in the middle innings there. Um, and, and the Bulldogs softball team uh, got on, ran too early. Um, Rio Casillas had a, a two-RBI single in the first inning, and they won that game 10 nothing. So, yeah, they're both still alive. Um, you know, softball uh, making another run after finishing fourth in the Class 3A field last year. Now they're they're back in the sectional round again. And we'll see uh, we'll see what baseball can do. Baseball's in action as we record this uh, tonight. Uh, they're getting ready to play Rochester. On Wednesday. And then on, oh, this week's crazy. Baseball and softball. <laughs> I'm sorry. Softball, softball, yeah. plays, softball tonight. plays tonight. They Flip play Chatham Glenwood. They do, yep. In a sectional semifinal out in Chatham at 6 p.m. first pitch. Yep, yep. Yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. <laughs> see, it's a yeah. It was a great, uh, a great, great atmosphere too on on Saturday down in Tolono. I was uh, at that Class Two A sectional uh, softball title game between Host Unity and, and Effingham St. Anthony. Uh, place was packed out there. Uh, bleachers were full behind home plate. Uh, kudos to to Unity AD Scott Hamilton too for the nice setup out there. I was stationed right on Damn. a little folding table. Got my little sun, my little <laughs> farmer's tan going on there. <laughs> also too, while Colin was posting about seventy five million videos on Twitter from Charleston, I think Joe, you and I talked about this maybe at late Saturday. We were blindly tweeting at our yeah. games because I could not see anything I was tweeting. I basically had to duck underneath the table looking like I was some weirdo uh, <laughs> to, to type out the, the scores after each inning. But uh, Unity lost a heartbreaker, 8-6 uh, to, to St. Anthony, who is now into the Class 2A state tournament after winning a, a super sectional on, on Monday against Quincy Notre Dame and Milliken. It was a great game. Uh, Unity got up on them early. Uh, Ruby Tarr, uh, their junior shortstop, three-year starter, came through pretty much all games. She was three for four. but She had a two-run triple to give them an early 2 nothing lead. Uh, Lindy Bates kept St. Anthony off balance through the first five innings or so. Then she hit a solo home run on uh, the bottom of the fifth. Megan Roth added an RBI fielder's choice. Unity is up 6-2, to two, six outs away from a third straight sectional title. And then St. Anthony just got the timing down on, on Bates' pitches uh, about the third time through the lineup. Mounted a comeback. Uh, tied it up at six after six innings. Unity couldn't push across any runs in the bottom of the six. It was the only par- only inning of the game where it went one, two, three. There were base runners on every inning there from. Uh, Bates walked the first batter she faced in the top of the seventh, and then uh, Unity coach Amy Davis elected to bring in senior left-hander Ashlyn Miller, uh, who worked a ten-pitch, nine-ten pitch at bat with the first batter, but then they uh, St. Anthony was able to collect the hits when they needed them to, and Unity still had two runners on the bottom of the seventh, uh, but just couldn't push across those runs uh, that they needed to keep their season going still. Heck of a season for the Rockets. Uh, ended up twenty nine and ten. Uh, we're in the Sweet Sixteen again. Uh, basically, an inning or two away from playing for a super sectional again and a chance to go to the state tournament. Uh, also, to only graduate three seniors, uh, so definitely the cupboard is is not bare for for next season. Uh, I didn't fully anticipate Unity kind of being back in this position mm-hmm. where they can can make a run in in late May. And Colin, they're still. 
one area softball team that is making a run. Yeah. And uh, first time ever in school history for the Leroy Panthers. They're going to be in Peoria this weekend playing for a state title in Class 1A. Yeah, pretty cool. We had uh, two teams on Monday trying to earn a first ever state berth. Milford Baseball, unsuccessful, but close game 3-2 to two against Henry Sinaquine. Uh, but Leroy Softball continuing its uh, pretty amazing run mm-hmm. of not only playing just high-level postseason baseball without any seniors on their roster, but also winning extremely close games. Um, besides their regional championship game against Tuscola, every one of their postseason games has been decided by one run. Uh, so winning by four against Tuscola constituted a massive <laughs> victory for them, which uh, it's kind of just the, the way it goes with Leroy. They, they haven't been stringing together a ton of hits, but they've been stringing together well-timed hits or well-timed base runners and really leaning into the pitching of Lily Long, who very impressive in the circle uh that the game that they had the super sectional game uh that they had on monday went into the eighth inning scoreless uh even though leroy was facing a bases loaded one out situation in the very first inning but managed to get out of it without giving up a run uh, natalie loy the three hitter for the Panthers comes through with, uh, I don't want to call it a two-run hit because I think from the way it sounds it would have been a one-run hit, but Mm -hmm. uh, there was a fielding error that contributed to it becoming a two-run hit, a hit where two runs also scored (laughs) during the play, not a two-RBI hit necessarily. Uh, that's all the runs the Panthers ended up needing, though it was close because Ottawa Marquette kept it close, though their uh, their starting pitcher was really strong from what I understand. They had a leadoff hitter who uh, Coach Doug Hagman over at Leroy said was one of the best hitters he's ever seen at the high school level. She was on base every time she went to the plate, including with a solo home run in the eighth inning that, that cut the score to 2-1, to one, but Lily Long persevered through all eight innings. Uh, through some pretty warm weather. Only gotten hotter today. They're lucky they didn't play today uh, as opposed <laughs> to yesterday, I guess. Uh, yeah, Leroy moving on to Peoria. They will play two-time defending Class 1A state champion Illini Bluffs on Friday afternoon over at uh, the Slugger Complex, the Louisville Slugger Complex in Peoria. Uh, the way that uh, Coach Hagman described it to me was I didn't know who we were going to be playing until they announced it over the intercom. Wasn't looking ahead, and I know they're good, but I think we're pretty good too. Um, and Leroy's got a a sense of you know fearlessness I think that is associated with none of these girls are going to be graduating you assume they'll all be back barring you know someone who wants to quit playing softball or transfer schools or something like that so I think there's just a sense of yeah we're just going out and playing softball and having fun uh, as friends and uh, that, that seems to be taking them a long way so curious to see what trophy it gets them but Leroy will be coming uh, back to town with a trophy from Peoria regardless whether they finish first second third or fourth one of the first stories I wrote last year was uh, Leroy Baseball mm-hmm. made their run to state, and yeah. the whole town was fired up. So I would assume uh, Leroy's pretty fired up about the the softball yeah. program as well. And and Illini Bluffs that'll be a, a tall order. You know, Illini Bluffs has quite the Bradley pipeline. Yeah, uh, Addie Welsh uh, and Kirsten McCoy, both former IB Tigers who are playing for the Braves. I think. Goreville also has a team in baseball and softball mm-hmm. class 1A state semifinals. Do, I don't think their games are at the same time on Friday, but good luck trying to figure out how to how to spread the community <laughs> over Peoria like that. That's uh, that's a good problem to have, I guess. Yeah, hopefully they've got a little bit of a layover. As as you as you learned last year, Dozer Park to Louisville yeah. Sluggers about a 15 minute it's drive. Not too bad. It's no, not too bad. It's doable. If you if you had to bike it, you could, but you'd rather drive it, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, Colin, you'll be out in uh, Lincoln twice this week. Wednesday for uh, Muhammad Seymour baseball against Rochester, and Thursday again, Champaign Central uh, against uh, Chatham Glenwood, and then Friday you'll be in 
Peoria covering Leroy softball, and then Saturday is TBD. Kind of yeah, depends on, right. on what happens uh, with the Panthers at state. If they're playing for a state title on Saturday, you'll likely be back in Peoria for the 1A softball state title game. If not, you or Joey will be in Lincoln, depending mm. what happens with uh, Muhammad Seymour baseball and Champaign Central baseball. I definitely am curious to see if we can get a Muhammad Seymour Champaign Central sectional final in baseball. Just so you can guarantee to spend Monday, June 5th Maybe, in but, Decatur. But also, they didn't play each other during the regular season, which usually doesn't happen. For, for some true. reason, they just didn't this year. I'm not sure why. I'm um, not sure who they replaced each other with, but... Yeah, I just I just want to see the game happen. Those have been two of the not only best big school teams, but best teams, period, in our mm-hmm. area all season. And I think it would be fitting if we saw them duke it out. Be very curious, too. I know I don't I don't imagine that Blake Walters will pitch on, on Wednesday, considering he just pitched on, probably, on Saturday. Probably not unless there's a desperate situation. But you would yeah. think he would pitch again on Saturday if they were mm-hmm. able to beat Rochester for the sectional title. But then that always goes to the, the interesting, you know, decisions the, the interesting decisions that that baseball coaches have to make this time of year is yeah. okay do i want to throw my best pitcher in the yeah. sectional title game knowing the super sectional is two days away but muhammad seymour's got some quality arms mm-hmm. they haven't won 31 games this season for w- even with all the contributions like walters has they got a, a very quality team yeah. over there so uh eager to see it all unfold yeah that's one uh, interesting thing i think that goes unsaid about uh, softball this time of year mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about that yeah. issue i mean mm-hmm. arms definitely do get tired mm-hmm. I, I hear people i hear parents and and uh, coaches talking about yeah the arms do get tired mm-hmm. but you're not risking you know we're gonna have to go into tommy john surgery <laughs> right after this if we throw lily long for 125 pitches mm-hmm. in a game if you throw blake walters for 125 pitches one that's illegal in the <laughs> ihsa right now and two probably not going to be good for his uh, mlb draft prospects yeah. so yeah both muhammad and central i think uh, have some good arms uh, mm-hmm. overall that potentially could get them through to a sectional final just a matter of coming up with timely hits to go with the arms absolutely see how it all pans out a uh, big week of baseball and softball ahead big couple weeks of baseball and softball mm-hmm. ahead after uh, a big couple weekends at track. So. The big weekends eventually will end, but not right now. They will. <laughs> and they then will. they'll pick back up. Yeah. Only to start back up in the fall. <laughs> <laughs> well, good stuff. Colin, uh, get some rest. You are looking very tan. So good. <laughs> I'll have to, Thank I'll you. Have to take some, some tips. Hopefully the next couple of weeks I can turn this, this redness into some kind of tan. But <laughs> that's where we'll leave it here, this episode of Extra Prep. Uh, another thank you to Steve Waller and Tyler Lang for joining us in the front half of this episode. Big things potentially in store for the Urbana or athletic program as a whole here. We'll see what uh, football looks like for the Tigers this fall. But uh, that'll do it. This is Extra Prep. I'm Joey Wright with Matt Daniels and Colin Likas. Join us next week wherever we wind up (laughs) to be determined. Stay tuned.